Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Hi, everybody. Uh, very excited to share my interview with Gary Yeoman. Uh, he is the CEO of Voxter Analytics, which is a real estate technology company. It is publicly traded on the venture. It's VXTR. Uh, interestingly, you know, we think so much about real estate in terms of our own personal wealth, likely caught up in our own homes and maybe some additional properties or investment properties. But it's perhaps also important to take a look at the technology that supports all of those transactions, which we know have really been on fire in Canada over the past number of years. In fact, Korea reported today that uh, existing home sales are up by 39% year over year and that selling prices, the average selling price is up by 25%. But stepping back, in order to allow all of those transactions, to facilitate those transactions, you've got the appraisal process, the tax assessment process, and also, of course, title search. So there's these really interesting companies, tech companies, uh, that are supportive of it. So PropTech, think PropTech. Um, Gary Yeoman, who I interviewed, who you'll hear from just in a moment from now, uh, he actually started the Altus Group, which is a software and data solutions company, a tech company supporting the real estate market. Um, and he has now founded uh, Voxter Analytics. He was actually also one of the first investors in Real Matters, another prop uh, tech company. So, um, you know, kind of an interesting area to learn about within tech and kind of leverages what's been going on in real estate, but using a tech company to kind of get that exposure, if that's of interest to you. Uh, so we had a nice long conversation just about the company, the industry, and also a little bit of his outlook on the Canadian real estate market. So take a listen, hope you enjoy, uh, and always happy to hear your feedback. Thanks so much. Uh, Gary, great to uh, be able to get together with you and to interview you about um, your company and uh, and everything that's going on within prop tech or the digitization essentially of the real estate market. I think that there's so many people, of course, who are focused on real estate, their own properties and or investing in real estate, but don't really know a lot about the technology uh, that goes on behind the transactions and so importantly, also the developments that, that are going on that could be really game changing in terms of how the real estate uh, market and, and the technology behind it is able to develop and, and perhaps even increase transactions. So uh, with that said, why don't we first start with um, with what the company is, is set out to do? And I'd also say, Gary, why don't we have a little bit about your background so people really understand that you've been involved in this uh, in this space for, for decades, I believe. Unfortunately, I'd like to say that I haven't been, but I have. That's, that's correct. Um, I guess I go back um, in my earlier days. Um, I headed up uh, Frank Stronick's real estate department at Magna International. So we built, during my tenure, about 40 million square feet. And so I essentially was in charge of all the buying, the selling, the leasing, the construction. And so really had a nice introduction to the real estate um, industry as a whole on a global basis. So that was a, a great opportunity for me to, to get introduced to uh, the real estate game. Subsequent to that, um, being around all these entrepreneurs, um, and I really felt that it was uh, something that obviously I had in me. And so I started my own business uh, around 19... 
96, 97. And ultimately that became the Altus Group. So I took that public in 2005. We built that up to 4,500 people in 62 countries. And it's now trade, trading somewhere around two and a half billion dollars um, on the TSC. Oh. Uh, while, while I was at Altus, I also invested in a company called Real Matters. I put the first $10 million, actually ended up to be 11, into the company for 50% of the company. It essentially was a, uh, an appraisal management company where, where they worked with the banks to um, facilitate appraisals for mortgage purposes. So they've uh, grown that business significantly. Um, I was involved in getting them their first you know, major client, which is Bank of Montreal, uh, brought Bank of Montreal in to provide their debt facilities, uh, their, all their treasury facilities. They took them public. And so that's, as you will probably hear later, um, mm -hmm. show me a really good company and I'll show you a really good bank that's behind it. Oh, interesting. So, mm -hmm. so there's not very many companies that are in a small cap market that have uh, the support of a Class A bank. And so when you have that, it's certainly a, a gateway to success not the only gateway, but certainly fundamentally gives you the opportunity to raise money in debt without liquidating your company through through equity. So uh, it was a big step. Hmm. And, and so then talk to us uh, about Voxter in terms of, um, you know, how that company came about. It seems that it's somewhat of a series of, of acquisitions, but also, you know, what, what was the mandate from your mind in terms of setting this up? So uh, after I left, uh, left Altus, uh, there was a little company called I Look About. And in the early days, they focused on imagery and they were taking inside and outside pictures, you know, of real estate and working with the real estate boards. Uh, and they subsequently went public in 2008. Uh, they didn't have um, a great journey uh, along the way. Technologies changed, they didn't adapt. And so they had a lot of difficulty. I knew about them when I was the CEO at Altus. They um, had indicated an interest for us to maybe, you know, take them over. And it just wasn't part of my strategic plan at Altus at that time. Uh, so when I left Altus, uh, I got in and I ran an investment bank for a little bit and found that that wasn't, you know, that wasn't fundamentally something that, you know, that was in my wheelhouse that I really enjoyed. I, I enjoy businesses, but I, I don't necessarily, sorry, I just, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I don't necessarily, um, you know, I'd I, you know, I don't like to fix them and then just leave. I, I like to build businesses. So I got on the board of I Look About, um, looked at the company, looked at the, the strategic, uh, strategic plan and vision. And quite frankly, I love the people. I thought they'd have great talent. I thought that there was a lot of opportunity to go forward. I started getting into, uh, introduced into what technology could do for real estate. The company wasn't doing well. So ultimately I came to them and said, listen, I think that we have a great opportunity here to build something special, but it's not gonna be done you know, with the strategic plan that we have and in the, in the manner that it's going. Uh, we were sitting at around $10 million of market cap. Uh, we were losing money. Uh, they had problems with the share structure. So I said, listen, I'm happy to, to take over. I'll, I'll put my own money in, which I did mm -hmm. about two and a half million to uh, straighten it around. And it took me a little bit of time, but I took over as CEO about two and a half years ago. And uh, today we're sitting at, you know, about a half a billion dollars. Uh, we're cash flow and EBITDA positive. Um, I purchased, let's say one, two, to be almost three businesses shortly. Mm -hmm. And and so it's something what I did at Altus too. I think that if you can find 
good uh, strategic businesses, whether they're creative, they're in your wheelhouse, in our case, technology and real estate, and they're synergistic where you can maybe cross sell between, you know, similar clients and that at, you know, an attractive uh, multiplier, then that's something that, that you should take advantage of. So Gary, stepping back though, you know, for people who are listening to this, whether they're institutional investors or retail investors, um, you know, a lot of people kind of just think about the one area of real estate that they might know of. it's probably their home. Uh, if they're in commercial real estate, it's maybe getting the best property at the best price. But there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. So I think from, you know, understanding the verticals of what has to happen when a property is purchased and or sold. Um, can, let's walk through what those buckets are, because it seems to me that Voxter is involved in all of them. Yes. So let's look at it simplistically. Uh, most people have been involved one way or other in, in purchasing a home. So the first thing that you typically do when you purchase a home is you contact the lawyer and he, he needs to facilitate the whole transaction with respect to changing of title. While he is there, evaluation has to be completed for the purposes of a mortgage. He has to place title insurance. He has to make sure that you got insurance on the house. You have to look at the property taxes to make sure that they're paid. You should also take a look at the property taxes to find out whether they're too high or too low and mm -hmm. by how much. So when you look at, uh, at that total uh, 365 degree circumference as far as how you and what you do to get involved in purchasing your house, we touch every aspect of that field. We do valuations for mortgage purposes. We work with all major lenders across North America. Uh, we have an ingestion engine where we provide title insurance. We have a tax analytics platform that tells you whether your taxes are too high, too low, and how, and how much. And so all of that is built through technology. We have a, a single uh, portal that we uh, work with, and we're able to do things quicker, uh, cheaper, and certainly more accurate. And so let, let's go through some of those buckets, though, in terms of why your technology allows you to be differentiated. And from what I also understand, you know, have significant margins or at least margins that are very much in line with um, true tech companies, software as a service platforms. Uh, I don't know, maybe that 70 percent level, which in today's world, you know, when you even just think about what we get paid on our own money, I mean, 70 percent, everybody will take all day long. Um, yeah. So so when you think about, I don't know, why don't we start maybe with valuation in terms of what your company provides versus what's out there uh, today? Well, we, we are evolving. Uh, my goal uh, right now, if you were to look at us uh, holistically right now, we're about 25 percent software as a service. And the other 75% is made up between data analytics and some consultancy that we're providing. My transformational role with this company is to get us up to 80% uh, SaaS related and provide that 20% uh, primarily uh, to be able to service the product that the SaaS is giving. And so that, that's our goal. And you're absolutely right. Uh, we'd be disappointed once that transformation takes place not to re uh, receive plus 75% margins. And so that's, you know, um, why you see today that SaaS related companies generate 20 to 30 times multiple of revenue versus companies that um, are data and analytics, which are typically, you know, trending around anywhere from four to seven times. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't know that there was that much of a disparity because we talked so much about the importance of data and analytics, thinking right. I, would, I would have thought that that would have been higher. But yeah. um, but I guess, yeah, it is still a software as a service. Um, but when we think about, as an example, um, taxation, what does your company provide on the taxation front? Sure. 
I've, I've been involved in property tax for many, many years. I actually wrote the policy manual that defines property tax and assessment in Ontario. So we've, uh, our company uh, in, I guess about five years ago, we introduced uh, a platform called Real Property Tax Analytics. And all it is, is a, a simple uh, predictive analytics tool where we take a look at data, we take a look at the assessments and we're able to tell you whether your taxes are too high and too low and by how much. Now, it, when I say simple, it's not simple with the algorithms because essentially you can take a look at properties that have sold and say, okay, my assessment is lower than the sale price, so it should be okay. But that's, that's not entirely correct. You also have to look at properties that have not sold and are similar to yours in the vicinity. Because you could have a house that sells for a million dollars and you, your assessment is, is at 900 and you could say, well, I'm fine. But what happens if you have other houses in the area are selling for 1.2 million and they only have an $800,000 assessment? So you do have to look at equity as well. So when we built our algorithms, we not only looked at sales, we looked at equity, plus we also took into consideration how does the tribunals, when they make decisions on, on whether assessment is correct or not, how does tribunals look at that? So I built in all of that into our algorithms and we've got a predictive analytics tool. It's currently being used by many municipalities in the province and hopefully within the next few, uh, few weeks, once the budget gets down, hopefully we'll be able to provide that to all 440 municipalities in the province of Ontario. And why is that so important um, to the municipalities? Uh, and also, of course, you know, we can think about it from an individual perspective. Everybody wants to make sure that they're, you know, paying the right tax, particularly based on what their neighbors are paying. And, and you know, some people fight their tax. My mother always does. She's 85 and has an MBA from Schulich back in the 70s. So she would be that person. Uh, but, but a lot of people don't know how to and, and don't have the wherewithal or the data even to present. So how does that fit into your business model? Sure. So what um, essentially where we'll be going, and we're going to be starting off in the U.S. first because, you know, candidly, the ability to have access to data uh, in the U.S. is so much more uh, substantive than what we have in Ontario and, and Ontario and then across the rest of the country. It's really closely guarded, the data. And so a lot of it is, is you know, is uh, in the hands of, for example, the, the Municipal Property Assessment corporation uh the the mls boards have data but try to get your hands on that and have access to that you know is difficult where in the united states um if you purchase it or in our particular case we have access to all of the data in the u.s um it, it's much more more open uh, i think it's much more transparent to be quite frank with you because my view is is that the more data that is open to the public the more transparent you are the better products you're going to have and isn't the goal really to be fair to everyone, to be fair to a municipality, to be fair to the ratepayer? Have transparency and get it right the first time instead of everyone kind of huddling data in their own little pockets and hoping that because you don't have data, you have an advantage. It's not the way to look at things. And so, you know, we're affecting change that way. We're working with the municipalities. Um, and to your point, municipalities, property taxes is the largest provider of revenue um, to run municipalities. And I think, especially with the pandemic, there's a serious concern right now because you walk down Young Street in Toronto or every other municipality and you look at uh, stores that are closed up, you look at the vacancies in the office buildings, and they're great providers of revenue for the municipalities. Mm -hmm. Well, who is going to pay that if they're vacant? 
how are they going to pay that? And so I think that municipalities are going to be under tremendous pressure to be able to have substantive revenue to come in to be able to continue to operate. And so I think it's incumbent upon the municipalities that not only to make sure that the ratepayers are paying their fair share, but they shouldn't also be collecting any more money than what they're entitled. So you have all kinds of companies out there that'll, you know, for example, file appeals on your behalf. And uh, everyone knows about them and you know, they're very successful companies out there and they save millions of dollars. And, that, and that's good because if they're over overtaxed, they shouldn't pay more than they, their fair share. But there aren't any companies other than us now that also look at it holistically. We have, we have built an agnostic platform. <laughs> Our goal is not to say whether it's too high or too low and just focus on one area or the other. Ours is to build a platform that says, what should it be? And so if you have egregiously undervalued properties, then don't you think that they should be adjusted? Because why should you pay more than your fair share to account for someone like, for example, in one major city, and I won't uh, say who it is, when we applied um, our uh, software uh, to, this, uh, uh, to, to the municipality, we found 4,500 properties that weren't even taxed. Wow. Just missed. It happens. You know, you hmm. have registered subdivisions and then our plans posted over top and through, you know, a myriad of different, you know, uh, registrations, things get missed. And so our job is just to make sure to bring to the attention of municipalities what a proper and fair assessment should be. And we're not looking at whether something should be $200 more, $300. You have... You have houses, for example, that are paying $10,000 a year, and a very similar house in the neighborhood could be paying $3,000, mm -hmm. and it happens. But no one is looking at undervaluation. Everyone is looking at over. Our, our position is build an agnostic platform, bring some integrity to the process, bring some fairness for both the ratepayer and the municipality. How so much, we're bringing that right, yeah. across, right across North America. That's our plan. And, and what's your expectation in terms of the rollout of that and also the demand? How, how, do, you sell other, how do you sell that story? Is it, a, well, is it an easy sell? Uh, I, I think it's extremely easy. Um, what we're doing, uh, for example, in, in the U.S., is we're going to roll out a platform called Confirm My Assessment. And um, I say for the, the, for the cost of a Domino's pizza, wouldn't you pay you know, $20 to determine whether your taxes are too high or too low. Taxes are their largest expense after debt service. So you can go into this system, you pay your $20, and we give you a profile on what your assessments and taxes are, what they should be. And if that's something that is proven that your taxes are too high, then you have an opportunity to do a printout, get a full report. You can walk that over to the uh, assessors or go to a tribunal and, and you know, make that happen. If it's not something that's in your wheelhouse where you feel comfortable doing that, then we have an infrastructure in place uh, to be able to um, represent you in that case. Now, I don't know anybody that wouldn't want to know what their taxes are and whether they're too high or too low. In the U.S., yeah. there's 140 million properties. So, mm -hmm. like, who would not want to know? Yeah, well, and I think we want to know here in Canada, too, in Canada as well. Uh, yeah. what, what, what's the process uh, in terms of ro rolling something like that out here? Just curious. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit, bit of a challenge. So what we're trying to do is aggregate as much data as we can. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's one thing is to be able to, to, you know, get that data from the municipalities so that they can, you know, operate their, their um, 
business properly. The other thing is to be able to aggregate that data be, to be able to use a holistic platform, an agnostic platform that represents all. Now, that's something we're working on, but it's, mm -hmm. it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Getting even on your hands uh, on data from the MLS or the real estate boards is difficult because all the real estate boards want to kind of house that information because that that's their secret sauce. So I think we have a whole education um, mm -hmm. in this country to be able to effectively roll something like this out. Um, but I think it will happen. It's interesting, you know, when we think about just, um, you know, the public equity markets and everything that's been going on for the past two months as it relates to the Robinhood investor and, you know, people loving the fact that there's been almost a democratization of the markets with retail investors really kind of coming in. It, it's, you know, it, it, this almost has somewhat of the same vein. In other words, individuals can kind of take a little bit more control, hopefully at some point, in terms of just making sure that the system is working fairly for themselves in terms of the taxation on their properties. Well, I think, I think the Minister of Revenue, um, not the current minister, but uh, the Rod Phillips was on record saying, my, our responsibility is to be fair to everyone, both to the ratepayer and the municipality. And with that response, we had some hope that data and uh, primarily data would be made available to everybody. And as a consequence of that, we could build our own um, algorithms and, and, and software applications to be able to roll something very affordably, very simply uh, out, both to ratepayers and municipalities alike. And we're so hopeful well, that will happen, but mm -hmm. we're just taking one step at a time here. And so, Gary, we're talking about the taxation side of the equation, but of course, Voxter is involved in other areas as well, the assessment. We talked a little bit about that briefly, but how does the company get the correct assessment uh, of a property? Uh, what's the right model for that these days? And also, when you think about um, the imagery that you talked about in, in terms of making sure that the, the I, th I think that the, the property can't be fudged in terms of what it truly represents, how does that play into your technology? So, so let's look at what happens today. So a bank will get a hold of an appraisal management company and say, we need a valuation on X and uh, property. And we need that because uh, this individual is going to buy the property and we have to determine what an uh, appropriate amount that we'll provide a mortgage for on that property. So what they do is they go to an appraisal management company, they give them the address, they find an appraiser, the appraiser values the property, comes back to the appraisal management company who does a little bit of a quality control and back to the bank. Today, that takes 14 days and $700. Hmm. And guess how it's done? Everything is done manually. The appraiser is going out there with a clipboard, with a piece of graph paper, a tape and a pen, and he's measuring it, he's inspecting it. And how is that supposed to happen? And how efficient is that in today's marketplace? And is it acceptable that you wait 14 days and pay $700? So what we've done is we've prepared and built what I believe is to be the only appraisal platform, services platform in North America. And what we've effectively done is that we have digitized every appraisal record in North America. So instead of, you know, providing appraisals on PDF delivered on XML, we've digitized everything. We're able to, through JSON, you know, download all of the data sets. And so effectively an appraiser can go out there today with an iPad. He mm -hmm. can key in everything on the iPad with his finger. He can draw uh, 
a sketch because we own, we just recently bought uh, Apex, which is the largest sketching platform in North America. So they can draw a sketch on there, they can put the data in and effectively they can get evaluation before they leave. Our role is that through this whole digitization of the process is that we want to not only provide the software but we also want to populate the appraisal records. We want to provide them with sales. We want to provide them with a value. So instead of an appraiser effectively doing one appraisal day, which is, it takes them that long because of how archaic the process is, he can do up to 25 a day. Mm. And, if you, and if you look at the appraisal, uh, the demographics of an appraiser today, the average age is 62 years old. There's not enough appraisers around. Mm. And, how can, and how can they wait? 14 days. What's happening in that 14-day process is the bank are losing customers because you have other um, different types of lenders, you know, like the Rocket Mortgages and the Zillows, et cetera, that are coming in and they're, uh, they're alternative uh, platforms. And so the banks have to stay efficient, proficient. They have to stay on the, uh, on the tops of, of technology. So we happen to be the people that have built it. Mm. And so our, our goal is come to us, and we'll go to the lenders and we'll say, instead of 14 days and $700, how would you like evaluation delivered to you in 36 hours for half the price, for even $300? What's been the response? Scary good. Like we just, we're just rolling it out. So what, what we decided to do is start with the appraisers. So let's make things efficient for the appraisers. So give them a digitized platform to be able to work with. We've even built our own appraisal Uber app. So we can make it efficient for the appraisers that are out there. You see the cars driving around, we get an order in, we advise the appraisers to say, listen, you've got another order coming in on the same street. While you're there, let's get it done. We've digitized it. We've got the app. We've, um, we're handling all the accounting for them with respect to collecting the money and, and paying the money. And so what we've done is we've made the work more efficient for the appraiser. Mm -hmm. So that was the first step. When we completed some of the application, and of course, you're never done uh, software applications are always continually uh, improving on them. But we, when we got completed in September, from September until December, we had 22,000 uh, applications a month. From January until the end of February, we're up to 125,000 applications a month. And then from February until probably the end of May, we expect to have 250. And our goal is to have a half a million app, uh, transactions a month uh, by the end of the year. And why is that happening? We're making life more efficient and we're making life more affordable. So we're not only taking and dealing with the appraisers, but the next step is let's go to all the appraisal management companies that are out there. Because what they're doing right now is taking the order from the banks and going to the appraiser. It's not working. It's, there's no profits. It's way too expensive. It's way inefficient. So we're basically go to them and say, we'll white label um, our software application and you use it, you can cut back on staff, you can make it more fail, uh, um, affordable, you can you know, still retain your own clients, still retain your own salespeople, life is good. So let's do that you know, with, mm -hmm. the, uh, with the uh, management companies. And then finally, when that's all running, then why don't we just go to the lenders themselves and say, here's our software, white label that, you control the process. Mm -hmm. And so effectively, you can see that whole transformation that going from an archaic $700 of 14 days, so the whole transformation takes place. And stepping back, there's no other 
companies that are trying to, to do this at this point, or they're trying but not successful? Where are we? We're, we're not aware of, I'm sure there are companies that are trying. We're not aware of anyone that has, we think we're three years ahead of everybody. And believe me, it's taken three years um, to get to this process. So we're, you know, I think we're, we've got a nice head start. And, and while we're at it, uh, Catherine, you know, while we got the valuation done and while we've got, you know, got a report now for the, you know, for the lawyer to tell them whether the taxes are too high and too low and give that to the purchaser, why not, why not offer title insurance too? So the company we just purchased has a title ingestion engine that allows us to determine the ability to get title insurance in less than a minute. And what that done is that's all done through AI and connections where we actually, we do two things. You have to look back, for example, liens on a property, like you forgot to pay a bill, you didn't pay your taxes, you know, some other nefarious claims that may take place. So you have to look back in order to be able to get proper title in that way. Mm -hmm. But then you also have to look forward. So believe it or not, it's getting so sophisticated today. So you'll partner with companies like TransUnion, where you not only look at the clearness of the title of a property, but then you're also looking at the ability for the person to be able to pay. So some of the AI that is out there is predictability of, will this go into receivership? Will this go into bankruptcy? What is the ability for someone that's in bankruptcy to pull themselves up? Because right now, what, what is happening is a lot of these mortgages, like you take Rocket Mortgage, for example. Do you know that they typically only hold their mortgages for 60 days? And then they're sold off to, you know, a government entity like a Fannie Mae or et cetera. And, huh. so, and so what they do is they sell them off. And of course, that costs money to sell off because Fannie is de-risking it. So what happens if you have very predictable um, title and process where you, you think you understand who the mortgagee is, what their ability to pay is, what the value is, clearness, why would they then sell to the, you know, to the, the GSEs, it's called government service entities, why would they do that? So I, I think that we're into, in for a major transformation and everything is centered around technology mm -hmm. and software. Mm -hmm. hmm. Software, most important, then ingest that with data and build your analytics, and then you've got a game changer. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, seems, it seems so simple, but it's very complicated to get to that. And, and, and real estate as a whole, believe, think about it this way. 90% of the appraisal, no, sorry, 100% of the appraisal management companies out there, with the exception of us, are still doing it like they did it 50 years ago. Hard to the believe. <laughs> bank to the appraisal management company to the appraiser out there slogging it out measuring with the tape coming back that's why it takes 14 days it's so hard to believe it is hard to believe and it seems as though and i was talking to somebody earlier prior to us doing this interview um i, I the question i asked was well where are the silicon valley tech guys in all of this and it doesn't seem as though this is an area that, you know, they are more into the WeWorks. This was the answer I got. They're more into the WeWorks versus yeah. these are the major nuts and bolts and laying the railway tracks. I, I, I got a theory on that. Okay. I, I, I grew up in a small town and I used to spend my summers on the farm with my grandpa. And, um, and he used to tell me stories. I learned a lot from him. But he'd go out in the field. He could grab the soil. He could just smell it. And he knew you know, what 
what you know what would provide the best yield like what kind of crop that he should grow what kind of herbicides you need to use and he started way back i'm not kidding with a with a horse and a furrow and then a lead for a tractor now the combines but guess what you can have the combines which is which i've uh, referred to as silicon valley which is the best tech but if you don't know where you're going to get the best yield then how do you build the technology so i refer to us as the farmers, I've been in the appraisal business for 40 years. Huh. And, and quite frankly, you know, it, you have to know what you need to know as far as if I have to go to my clients and say, what do you need? It's too late. So for me, it's taking, you know, an understanding of what technology can do. Then I go out and find the really smart guys mm -hmm. other than me to be able to build, code <laughs> and take, it, take it to another level. Well, and Gary, that was another one of my questions because I, I can appreciate, and I think anybody listening to this will, will appreciate the complexity in terms of the software required, the data, the analytics, and putting it all together. And I, I have been curious in terms of uh, where are you finding your human talent? And, you know, when we think about Canada, and some people say Canada has great tech minds, a lot of people say that you know, we've got brain drain or it's actually in the United States. Well, what's your response? And because your company's in the United States as well. So, um, what, what do you say to, to finding talent today and, and how much is there is there out there? So here's how I look at it. You need someone with a Gordie Howe experience, all right? But you need an Austin Matthews legs, in <laughs> other words. So there's all kinds of really, really, like incredibly talented and smart 20 to 25-year-old kids. So if you've got a good coach to say, this, this is what we're looking for, this is... This is how, you know, this is how we think you can get there. Build us something so it's, it's, it's quicker, it's cheaper, and it's more accurate. And so it's just that combination of, sh I'll show you any software and I'll show you where there's a great communication between the practitioner and, and the builder. Understood. Um, thinking about the outlook now for your product and, and this digitization process, um, you know, we've got to always consider, I always think, you, you know, you look at the macro environment as well. So um, what is your take right now on the macro environment in terms of residential real estate or real estate? And, and also, of course, with the backup in yields that we've seen on that U.S. 10-year yield today, that's happening as well. But yesterday and the day before, it was fine. Um, how, does, how, how does some of those macro factors play into this? I mean, I can appreciate that tech companies, they're, they're their own animal regardless of, of the markets. But, but, you know, when you see that, what do you think about? Um, for me, it, it's the, you'll be surprised at this answer. For me, it's not about the value. It's about change. As long as there's change, there's lots of work. It's, it's when nothing changes and everything stays still, then that's when the work dries up. And so what you have when you have an economy and you got supply and you got demand and you got all these external forces, whether it's pandemics or whether it's, you know, other, you know, you know external global factors that affect, um, you know, the value of real estate, um, then as long as you have change, then we're going to be extremely active. Understood. Uh, it was interesting. Speaking of active, um, you you did do a private placement the other day that um, I believe was priced at seventy cents. Correct. And traded up to a dollar twenty eight. For our viewers to understand, um, you know, and I spent fifteen years on Wall Street at Goldman Sachs doing you know twelve IPOs a week during the boom. 
uh, and then follow on offerings at Deutsche Bank and what have you. It's rare that a stock climbs that much when you do an offering. So it's great. So I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's no secret. Uh, I've told everyone we're going to grow organically. You, you need to do that. And I think that I've tried to articulate the plan for us to do that. But you also have to grow through what I deem accretive acquisitions. So in my view, uh, we've got a few things that we have to take into consideration. It has to be real estate. It has to be technology. Uh, it has to be accretive. And, and when I say that, I, it means simple. Like if we're trading at 10 times multiple of EBITDA, then I want to buy something at five times, right? And it has to be synergistic. So when I say synergistic, for example, we bought the sketching company called Apex. They're 2,200 counties of the 3,300 they're in in the U.S. We need to get into the counties for some of our workflows that we're selling. So this little sleepy little company was a million dollars of profit and four million, sorry, three and a half million of sales. And that's great. And they've been like that for almost 10 years. Like they've just hmm. been doing nothing. We built a little bit of technology, some mobile applications to go into that. And we bought them in October. And since October to the end of February, we signed on $7 million of new contracts. Plus we have another $6 million contract on our desk. So effectively we've taken that little business and we've increased it from three and a half million to almost 17 million in four months. Mm -hmm. That's what you call accretive synergistic opportunities. So there are companies out there that don't know how to get to that next level. Don't know how to, they don't have the money. Uh, maybe they don't have, you know, the sales, they don't have some of the expertise. There's some beautiful dandy little companies. And so the other thing I, I didn't say when I would buy a company is we always make sure that they have skin in the game. So I want to make sure that when we buy it, that they take an active investment in our company, because first of all, I love what we're doing. I know what we're going. And I always say to them, I think that you're going to do way better in what you keep rather than mm -hmm. the cash you're going to take out. And so they take skin in the game. So when we, when we went out to raise some money, I mean, we were only trading at around 70 cents. And how do you go out to investors right now and tell them that I'm going to do a 70 cent raise and I'm not going to give you a warrant. And so what do you, what do you think the opportunities of success? Like, you know what I did? We told our, I told a story similar to what I'm uh, saying today, um, very humbly because, you know, you never know right you know there's always naysayers and there's always uh, believers but quite frankly we almost doubled you know as far as the um, attractiveness so we wanted 35 million we could have probably raised 70 it's it's mm -hmm. been met with a lot of of uh i guess optimism and now the pressure's on because we have to deliver right uh, but management does own almost uh, 60 of the company so we're aligned Mm -hmm. As I said at the outset, I put two and a half million of my own money in, you know, a few years ago. Mm -hmm. So much I believed in it. And I take this responsibility very seriously. It's there's a lot of investors that come in, um, whether it's twenty five thousand dollars or whether it's five hundred dollars. That's everything they have in some cases. And the last thing that I want to do is look them in the eye and say that I let them down. Mm -hmm. And there's been too much of that happening in the marketplace. And so that's not going to be who we are. Going to work hard can't guarantee success but certainly we can guarantee that no one's going to work harder and just as a um, teaching moment I, I think it's interesting to point out um what you mentioned which is you you didn't offer warrants 
Why, what, what should our new viewers or new investors know about that and why you didn't? Well, I think it's just a matter of how much confidence you have in the success of your company. It, it really gets down to, listen, I've laid it out. I think we're going to have great success. Um, we have some major uh, institutions that we're dealing with right now that gives me great reason on why we're going to have that success. We think that people um, are going to buy our platform. And some take the attitude it's easier to buy than to build. And if we're way ahead of the marketplace and they can do things, you know, quicker, cheaper, and more mm -hmm. accurate, then why wouldn't they? So, you know, I was confident enough that we did it. Now, when you look at contrarily, I offer it 70 cents. It goes to $1.15. Everyone is mad at me because they didn't get the opportunity to go in. Everyone is saying to me, well, why didn't you offer it to a, you know, for a dollar or a dollar 10? But you tell me when we're on, only trading at 68 to 70 cents, how do I walk into, you know, an investor and say, I want a dollar 15. Right. So that all, that all happened in, in two weeks. It went from 70 cents to, I think it even went higher than mm -hmm. the, than the dollar 28. So you, you don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't always know when you're going out on the on a roadshow or a pitch or what have you what the what the true demand will be and or what the right pricing is. That that's always the difficult aspect of uh, doing any type of deal, I think. But you didn't. But the point is, you, you didn't need to sweeten the deal with warrants. No. no I, listen, I love our company. I have uh, a lot of confidence, and I think that my story, uh, you know, has, you know, it has a, has a lot of you know momentum uh, mm -hmm. going forward. And I speak truth and it doesn't mean that you're always going to execute, but I, I believe in it strongly. Mm -hmm. And we'll wrap it up in just one second, but lastly, then stepping back, um, what do you see occurring in the real estate market in Canada as well as the United States? Well, for the foreseeable future, I, th I see nothing but buoyancy. I mean, what is happening in Toronto or what is happening in Florida right now? There's just, listen, what's the alternative as far as where you're going to put your money? You know, you and I talked before the show and, you know, some are putting it into cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. And, and uh, I think that everyone has had their, um, their sling at the cannabis space and that's, you know, lost some momentum and now it seems to be coming back a little bit. You have these trends, but real estate has been here forever. Real estate is not going, they don't manufacture land. You're always going to see change. Um, and there's always going to be a demand. So I, I think that we're in one of the largest, uh, not one, I know we're in the largest asset class in the world. That's what real estate is. Amazing. Uh, Gary, great to be able to meet you and Thank speak you. with you and, and learn about your story and also your uh, incredible uh, career in real estate. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much, Catherine. Thank you.